Anyway, welcome back. Glad everybody's back and I uh, hope you had a nice lunch. I'm very excited about this panel. Um, I know that most of us in here are avid video game players. Lots of WoW players, I know, but we're all uh, lifelong, uh, you know, lovers of video games. And that's good because it so happens we have a panel of experts and crazed fanboys. Um, <laughs> both uh, here with us today. Let me introduce our special guest, Shane Smith. Smith. On the end, right there, is uh, Shane is a video game designer with 10 years in the industry, most recently working at Dis on, uh, Disney on Toy Story 3 and the soon-to-be-released Cars 2 for the Xbox, PS3, and Wii. That's, that'd be the 360, I suppose. He also teaches video game programming in the Entertainment Arts and Engineering Master's Program at the University of Utah and uh, is good friends with Corinne, which is why this worked out so well. So thank you, Shane. Also, uh, Marty Clayton. Good round of applause for him. Uh, Marty has been innovating in the 3D industry since 1991. I feel old reading that. Uh, doing illustration and animations for the many areas within design, engineering, and architectural industries. He's worked in video gaming industry for 12 plus years as an environmental artist, animator, developer, manager, and finally, as an art director, he worked extensively on such games as Top Gear Rally 2, Tiger Woods Golf Franchise, multiple products for Hasbro, including Nerf, Nerf and Strike 1 and 2, a Monopoly, uh, and currently on the Sims franchise. Uh, let's see, taught at Columbus uh, College of Art and Design, uh, Art Institute of Salt Lake, and currently teaches at the University of Utah in the Entertainment uh, Arts and Engineering program. Thank you for being here. And Alan, too, is right there. Uh, he has also been at this for a while, 17-year industry veteran artist uh, turned design lead, most well-known for a game he worked on, a little tiny game. You may have heard at Mom and Pop Shop, thing called StarCraft Brood War. You may know of it. It's just a little thing. No big deal. Um, as an artist, uh, his last studio title was a big unannounced project for Disney that was canned after three years. I'm guessing that would have been awesome, and we'll never see it. But he is now working from home, scripting and using his Utah Connections, Utah Connection, to uh, attempt to get a personal game or two off the ground. Uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. And of course, Veronica Belmont, avid gamer, host of Sony Core, and many other things. Every time I get on Steam, guess who's playing? Veronica is. Tom Merritt is with us again. Terpster is with us again. D Brian Dunaway on the other end. The final score. And that's it, right? Is that everybody? Yep. I haven't forgotten anybody. Okay. Oh, that's right. Veronica found, literally founded and named the guild. Well, first it was We Eat Babies, or I Eat Babies. I Remember eat that? I Eat Babies. I we got in trouble. So now it is AIE, and she is chiefly responsible for that name and resulting mayhem. All right. Um, what, what we wanted to do today, and... This was important to me way back when we said, hey, what if we had a, a video games panel here at the event? The, the goal was not to do another, how does one get into the business kind of panel? Because we don't care about that. <laughs> All, I mean, it's a cool pursuit and people should pursue it. But I, I think what would be more fun, especially for this group and certainly for me, would be if we talked about the, the core reasons we play, the passion we have for playing them, the passion they have for making games, what maybe inspires them to make them, um, where things are headed, where are they now, the explosion of indie development and downloadable content and what that's done to sort of change the business at a core level, that kind of stuff. Am I wrong? Does that sound good to everybody? All right, because that's what we care about. 
we care a lot more about that than the ones and zeros and stuff. So uh, let's get into it. I'm going to start uh, this off, and, we, and I want to encourage, again, a lot of questions from the audience. Um, we'll kind of warm things up and let you kind of get to know these guys uh, with a few early questions. Um, so let's start with, oh gosh, who should I ask? Marty, let me ask you. You, what games inspired you to even be in this business? Do you play them yourself? I mean, you've had, obviously you've had a, a pretty rich experience in other avenues that have probably helped a great deal in the work you've done with games, but have the games themselves been an inspiration for you? Do you find yourself hooked on one and just, oh, I gotta do, I gotta do something amazing with what I've learned from this game? Yeah, I, I actually started out with Twisted Metal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, because I, I, I worked at Single Track uh, for a while, then, then I started getting into Jet Moto a bit. Really enjoyed that a lot. I, I leaned towards uh, racing, car combat, race combat. Uh, those are the kind of things uh, uh, that I really like to do. Are you excited about the, about the new one? About the new... Um Oh, Twisted, Twisted Metal? Twisted Metal, yeah. Twisted yeah. Metal, whatever they're calling yeah. it. Actually, Three, the, um, the guy that's doing that right now, Scott Campbell, he was my first boss over at oh, Single Oh, cool. Yeah. So. Like the old teams back together on that project, I think. Uh, an awful a lot, lot of them, them are, yeah. yeah. All right. I saw a lot of giant robots in the video. I'm a little nervous. We'll see how that goes. Uh, well, awesome. But do, they, do you find games where, uh, let's, let me put it this way, because you do a lot of environmental stuff and art and that sort of thing. Are there games that jump out at you and go, hey, look how, look what they've done. I've got to make something like that. Or I have to take that inspiration and build a world that is based on those tenets. Has anything in your history of video games done that for you? Besides car combat and dirty, you know, barrels and junk like that that you see in Twisted Metal. Barrels and crates. <laughs> no, it's just something that uh, originally I started out... Uh, this is, this is how things change in your life. I started out in landscape architecture and land planning at Ohio State University. That's where I got my undergraduate degree. Uh, but a heavy emphasis in design there, so I knew how to create indoor and outdoor spaces. And that's what I really had a passion for. And uh, as time went along and I, I started messing around in 3D, I'm like, man, I can do this in 3D. Why do I have to worry about trying to get funding and everything else like that to try to build it in real life? So um, that's kind of what actually uh, spawned me forth uh, into uh, more of the environmental artist side. And, and then eventually I, I started going on to the character side of things. Now the tools today, like the, the, the stuff you get to use to build these worlds or to build these characters or to just do anything, it seems like we've come a, a great long way from 10 years ago even. How much easier is that today, say, compared to the 90s? Uh, I'm trying to remember uh, what we started using at, at Single Track, but it was, it was actually, it had a, a scripting program built into it and everything. So you'd create the graphics, and then you had to create the scripts, and it had to be, you know, every line had to be just exactly right, and, it, and you'd end up moving stuff around like that. Um, we use Maya now. Uh, Maya's fantastic, um, but that's just one tool. There's so, so many other tools. Moto is, uh, is really a good tool, especially for just checking out renderings and, and things like that. So, Alan. Yes. Brood War. Oh, okay. yes. So, so when you were working on Brood War, and, and you were doing art for Brood War, uh -huh. and by the way, I don't know where Randy and those guys are, but are they here? Anyway, 
Patrick. Patrick. <laughs> Where are the Blizzard guys? The Blizzard guys. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that, and we always used to talk about this on the shows, but it's also just true of how I feel about Blizzard. The Blizzard seems like a company of artists first and figure out how to make it come to life second, in a way. Do you, did you, A, feel that that was, um, that was the culture then, and B, what, what tools worked then? Because back then you're talking about these pre-rendered sprites. It was a really weird look for, or a, a really new shiny look for, for strategy games at the time. Uh -huh. I'm raining pencils, pens over there. Um, how does, how did that, like that's all changed completely. It's all 3D, it's all geometry now. Yeah. Um, how, how did you, like, just tell us about that path. What's that like? Um, well, I mean, when we worked on Brood War, it was very, I, I, I mean, it was almost entirely 2D, except for the guys doing uh, figures, um, you know, like the little, the things that ended up being sprites. Sure. But for the terrain, which is, which is the probably less interesting thing that I did most of, right. um, we're talking about like 12, 32 by 64 tiles right. um, that represent sort of like the, the base of an environment. Um, and then each one has to tile with each other perfectly. And the, the thing that was interesting to me working on that was just how, how fickle uh, Blizzard was about those 12 tiles per tile set. Um, I think that's where I learned in games to like have absolutely no artist ego whatsoever. Mm. Like ego does not belong here. Um, and it's just because anything that was a different color or object by the end of the project was on like a completely separate layer. Just because they might want me to change the color of the pebble here, like give them back three, you know, different slight color variations on the pebbles or the flower petals or, you know, this piece of grass or anything on these tiny little pixel things. So it's not so much that they controlled, the, well, it's not so much that they lack the vision, but they control the vision. Yeah, the interesting thing, and this is, this is my experience working with Blizzard back then, yeah. and I, you know, I don't know what it's like now, maybe it's the same, maybe it's not, but I, I thought the thing that was really interesting working with Blizzard was that I never got, or I never felt intimidated working with them in terms of, like, the caliber of of people, which hopefully isn't insulting <laughs> to the people that work there. Um, I, I just mean, you know, they're, they're geeks like us, they thought about the same things we did, all this kind of stuff. The thing that was interesting was that they could afford to, to constantly revise it. They knew when they had something golden. And when we were working on that as kind of a project for hire, this is here in Utah, um, because they farmed out that, that project. Uh, uh, so wait, they, fa they farmed out the, the tile set creation. So literally just that one piece? Right, and, the and the programming and... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, so it, it was at Sapphire Blizzard? that they did it. We're on yeah. the credits, it's just, you know, Blizzard's the, the right, big right, thing right. and Sapphire's the tiny little thing in the corner. Right, 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 right. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's that they, they could afford to keep revising it until they were happy. And then the, <laughs> the other interesting thing about that uh, with our company is that we, we couldn't necessarily afford to. <laughs> and so that, that grew to a lot of, I think, tension between the companies. Um, and then some of it I like to take some blame for because originally it was supposed to be uh, one tile set and three palette swaps. Mm. So literally like a moon would be blue and then green and then red and that would be all of our art contract. And, uh, and I was really disappointed because I loved uh, StarCraft and WarCraft and I was really upset about it. So I said, look, I can stay late nights and I'll, I'll just go ahead and make these other tile sets. That way we could have three representative like different places, the ice, you know, the desert and the, the, the moon. But yeah. I, I'm not sure how much, uh, how much I caused pain at the company, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's still a legend at Blizzard. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool. Let me ask you the same question, though, that I posed uh, before, which is what kind of games inspire you to create? 
Uh, what, do you play, what are you guys playing now, too? Like, we can get into stuff that you're into now. Even. Well, I, I mean, I play tons and tons of stuff. I, maybe it's a lot more bigger titles. Um, I feel like I've kind of slipped off on multiplayer games where I always used to have... Uh, I, I say this for the Warcraft players. You know, I played for about two years. Um, and I've always had some sort of multiplayer staple since college playing MUDs. Um, but uh, nowadays, it's mostly like playing Street Fighter online. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I just, uh, but I've, there's always been some multiplayer title that's like a consi consistent addiction, you know, whether it's Team Fortress 2 or uh, like I played Subspace for a while, Tribes for a while. Subspace is like a, if anyone knows what that is, okay. <laughs> it's a game that I love. It's had a tiny, tiny community, but if anyone knew about it, I'd probably hear screaming from whoever that person was because it was a tight knit community. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, I forgot that Shane played Subspace. <laughs> um, but yeah, nowadays, the, the games that I look out for are ones that I feel like are pushing, um, this might sound corny, but the emotional boundaries, at least on the console. So I like, uh, you know, I, I'm excited for the next Uncharted 3 because I feel like they're doing really interesting things with AI and how they're pushing story. Um, I'm, I really enjoyed Heavy Rain, and even though it had some really huge problems with uh, control, I thought, you know, it was really, really, uh, just had some of the most amazing moments I've ever had in a game. And uh, and then also little like smaller indie gems that I feel like are pushing different emotions in games, you well, know, like journey. That's interesting because I'm I felt for a while um, talking to Dunaway about this that there was that games or maybe it's just we're getting older. I don't know. <laughs> it's, that's true either way. But you're going, <laughs> that's true either way. But it seems like we start with the simple stuff we grew up with on our televisions and whatever, and we worked our way up to really complicated. And lately it's crazy complicated you uh -huh. know, plot and story and, and, and graphic engines that you know wouldn't be possible five years ago or whatever and I feel like I'm going back the other direction again where yourself yeah like yeah. downloadable games I was really into that new Pac-Man <laughs> game this year the yeah. DX2 championship edition 2 whatever it was play the crap out of that and I love all the like pixel junk games and I'm really into the small downloadable stuff and as those platforms get better and better at delivering those it seems like I'm more and more into those and less inclined to go ooh. 80-hour RPG, I don't know right. if I'm ready for that. Do you uh, find yourself doing that? Um, personally, no. Uh, but I think, but I think the, the thing that you're feeling is what tons of people are feeling, and I think is what's making the industry completely panic right now. I mean, just in terms of the big behemoths trying to compete with all the very nimble, tiny things that are making money out there that they can't like put a finger on, or, or trying to put a finger on and fumbling, I feel like, when I watch you know, Microsoft or Sony or even Nintendo at a press conference, I'm just kind of like, oh my god, what are you guys doing? <laughs> So, um, so yeah, and that's just my opinion because my love what Nintendo and Microsoft and <laughs> Sony are doing. <laughs> yeah, uh, Shane, tell us maybe a little bit about what inspires you to do the work you do. Uh, you mean from a video game standpoint, sure. just yeah. like these guys, or other stuff too? If you like, I don't know, if the Golden Girls was a big deal for Cars too, <laughs> whatever. I, I like all that stuff. Right. Well, um, I'm a programmer, so um, I I get enthralled by puzzles and. And, and problem solving of all types, um, which meant uh, in my youth, I grew up as the 8-bit generation, right? So Zelda was right in there, Metroid, all those Nintendo titles. Um, then uh, played a lot of Doom, Doom 1, Doom 2 back in the day. So, um, so that's where I, I had made up my mind at that point playing those games. I was going to be a game programmer. Um, and, and I followed through on that, right? Yeah. And, um, nowadays, I'm playing, oh, I'm all across the map, right? Left 4 Dead 2, uh, Civilization, 
all of them. <laughs> Final Fantasy. Yeah. So, five, uh, I can't say I like any one genre over the other. I just, I just soak it all in. I'm totally addicted to tower defense games. Oh, yeah. Something wrong with me. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, tower defense. I, I can't get my head around them. I don't know why. It's not because I'm too duh or anything. I just I can't get the, I don't know. So recently, I've been um, developing mobile games, and I'm so excited to make my own tower defense game. I just have to figure out a, a way to convince my employer to do that. <laughs> well, it's okay. Here's, let's lead into that. Um, the indie development scene has been crazy lately. Like this, it's a resurgence of the old days. The old days were guy in his basement, contracted by Atari, make a game, sell it. Problem is, those guys didn't get much credit. They usually didn't get paid very well for that, but. Nonetheless, small development team, big release. Today, it seems like we're flipping back to the old days where you could make a game in your basement. You could be a Jonathan Blow and make uh, Braid. Um, countless other examples. It, is that good for us? Like, it, what does that mean for a business that's trying to sell Halo 4 billion copies a day and the new Call of Duty is making the biggest steal. media event ever? <laughs> And this sort of stuff. Like, and you know what I'll do? I'm going to pass this around a little. Oh. <laughs> I'll come back to you, I swear, on that, because I love this topic. So, Veronica, is your indicator to push that there? <laughs> what do you, how do you see the state of indie development, and what do you think about all that? I think it's amazing, actually, because it seems like everyone benefits in a way, because companies don't have to, big companies like EA, for example, they don't have to spend a lot of money, like, investing all that time and manpower into building, like, a AAA title. They can, you know, bring someone on board, like, like Jonathan or, or someone doing, like, this is t there's so many new independent games coming out, too, and they come out so much more frequently. It's like the gamers get that ability to play all these new, amazing, innovative titles without spending $65 on, on, like, a AAA disc, you know? So not only do you get to experience a lot of different kinds of games, but these independent developers, now that they have tools like, you know, the Xbox Arcade and PSN, they can develop for these platforms that reach a lot of different people without having to, you know, spend three years at a big development house or three years at a big publisher um, making a title that is not guaranteed success. You don't risk as much when you are doing independent games. You risk a lot of your own personal time, for sure, but there's not multi-millions of dollars going into the development and entire teams aren't going to be fired if the game doesn't take off. Right. But see, the thing with... Tears right now. Tears. Exactly. Tears yeah. in your face. I really want to see that thing. You can't talk about it, can you? Not, not much. I mean, I could throw out little things, but All right. what I don't did, know. did it involve Mickey Mouse? No. No. <laughs> no it was a, it was a brand new it. thing okay. for Disney. Okay. Um, it was it was us trying to kind of like take the the mechanics of maybe a, a God of War type of thing and make it for everybody. Um, uh, that might sound insane, but I Wait, think... Take the mechanics of God of War and put it into a Mickey Mouse game? <laughs> no, no, no. Not a, not a Mickey Mouse game. Oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's right. I, I mean, I think I think putting it like that doesn't maybe doesn't doesn't necessarily do its service. Uh, but th there's a competing product that was in the news a little bit. I don't know if you guys heard anything about LMNO, that Steve Spielberg backed game. Oh right. That got canceled. Yeah, that never happened. We right. probably got canceled for some similar reasons, but uh, but but it was very very AI driven. We were trying to bring a character to to life that had a gameplay role that never frustrated you as a player, which was kind of like our big, big obstacle. Unfortunately, we focused entirely on that and succeeded, but we didn't get the beyond players are not frustrated with this guy. 
Um, and then that's when everything kind of blew up in the industry and, and Disney got scared and lots of millions went down the toilet. So what is that like to work? And you two may be able to speak to this too. What's it like to work on a project for three years? Three years is a long time. Yeah. You throw your guts into it and you really are proud of what you're doing and then it's gone. What do you, how does that land on you when it happens? Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty heavy. I was, I was a design lead on that project and that was very, uh, I mean, I, I felt like I was part of the decision. And someone was talking about like shooting their dog. I can't remember the name, but I mean, it, it felt a little bit like that. The, uh, the, I guess the, the, uh, the trick, eh, I don't know. It's just hard. It was hard for me. It was hard for the team. It was hard for everybody because we were passionate about it. On the flip side, there's this weird jaded, you know, kind of like you, you've experienced it before in the industry. If you've been in it for 17 years, you've had something that you cared about pooped on. It just happens. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I ended up le leaving after that, but maybe it was a little bit about Disney's vision, where they wanted to go, and that kind of thing. I don't know. All right. Fair enough. Any, yes, please. So well, in order to, to really make a game that you guys really enjoy playing, we have to sink our heart and soul into it. And that's, that's probably what Alan was talking about. You just, you feel like, you know, uh, your baby's been ripped from you, or somebody kicked your dog really hard, or or something else like that. Um, but then we're expected to turn around and, and jump right into the next thing and really get interested in that and, and you know, sink our heart and soul into that. And, um, you know, there, there's no job anywhere that's perfect. Um, I think we've got a pretty good one, personally, but... It's pretty perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you do what you have to do, and you move on, and, and you get over it. You know, you cry a few tears. So, does it feel like does it feel like that industry though is immature in that way? Like we haven't, like video games haven't figured out how to. I don't know. I, everything's about money, and I get that. And all industries are about money. You don't have an industry without a bottom line. We've talked about this before. The the idea that you can't like independent games are exciting because you're in charge. I, honestly, it's a little like the Frog Pants Network. To be honest, I, I get to make the calls. I don't have to be told to do something or cancel something because, you know, they, somebody else thought it wasn't going to be successful or whatever. That must just be colossally frustrating. But can the industry mature more and become a more, I don't know, more of a... I, I th actually think the, the, the more maturity is the more it's like that. Uh, rather than the opposite. Now, I think maybe the video game industry, and you guys let me know from the inside what you think of this theory, uh, but it may have the advantage of being able to adapt faster than older industries like movie, TV, music, because they don't have such a long legacy of commoditizing everything, and they're not trying to close the gates and preserve old models as much. And I think downloadable games, casual gaming, uh, allow for a little pressure that says, hey, let's, let's give some more creative freedom. Yeah. I mean, you guys, do you guys well, get excited about like the iPhone games, iPad games, that kind of stuff? Does this yeah. tickle everyone's fancy? Ab absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that's going back to the roots. But to, to go back to what you were talking about, things, the industry's changed. Uh, when um, the iPhone came out, um, the iPad, things like that, um, just any kind of mobile gaming at all, uh, that really changed things around a lot, and we had to go back and take a look at it. Also, when the Wii came out, that changed everything. We, EA started to go into casual gaming at that point, and that's when uh, we brought on Hasbro, or we, uh, we took a contract with Hasbro, and we started trying to create all these um, 
these games from board games or card games or, or whatever the case may be and all. But we could only, we, we had to, to answer that the person would only maybe sit down for 20 minutes and play this. And it had to be something that wasn't frustrating. Get into it, get out of it, come back to it. So. Well, those are the games I like on that platform, so that makes sense. I mean, that, the biggest games on iOS are things like Angry Birds and what's that bird one where you fly real high? Tiny Wings, thank you. I can't think straight anymore today. One more comment on Please. this. So, um, and the industry is still growing, right? But um, they haven't quite figured out how to quantify innovation uh, in terms of dollars and cents, right? Everything we do is based on money, as Scott mentioned. So um, until they can figure out, okay, here's this new idea, and it is worth X amount of dollars, then they can't afford the risk to put that in there. Now, um, when, the, when Nintendo launched WiiWare, I remember them telling us, um, this is a great place for you companies to go and try these uh, maybe risky uh, game designs, stuff that might not do so well in the marketplace, right? And I think there was only a handful of games that, or a handful of companies that actually did that. Um, and instead we saw a big divergence in the marketplace where here's the, these indie games and they kind of suck and the thing that's going to differentiate companies, uh, big corporations, is that the quality is there. Uh, we haven't seen a, that change until the last year or so. You know, EA is pushing out some top quality games out on the, in these networks, PSN, Xbox Live, stuff like that. So um, it, they still haven't figured out how to quantify innovation until that happens. It's, uh, I don't know, it's anyone's game. Don't they also have a hard time identifying it? Like, you, Minecraft comes out. Nobody, nobody in my imagination would have said yes at a corporate level to Minecraft as an EA or an Activision project and said, yep, that looks awesome. Let's put all the money behind it. Let's make it happen. It, it's like it had to come from this dude. And it had to be a grassroots thing. How do you reconcile that with, like, that's, that's, that's a huge deal. Now, it's one example, and maybe there are 500 other guys that fail for one Minecraft. Um, it's company yeah. culture, right? What is, what is the company willing to do? What kind of games do they do? Uh, Katamari Damacy is my answer to that, right? Is, here's this crazy game, and uh, will a company back that? Well, heck yes, they will. But it takes just the right people at the top. Interesting. Any other thoughts? Anybody else pipe in? Anything from Britain? What's going on over there? Um, not much. Um, <laughs> I'd say it's a, it's a great time to be a gamer at the moment because of the the indie scene on like iOS. Is there's so much choice? There's about four thousand apps come out every week, um, of which a, a large portion are games. Um, but the Angry Birds, you know, Roxio made I think like something like seventy, eighty games before they got Angry Birds, yeah. and it is that sort of. Um, low cost, low risk, you can kind of chuck them out, and it's what catches. I mean, with podcasting, we've certainly found, if you look at how many podcasts there are out there, it's all a case of the community latching onto it. Um, I mean, Minecraft is, is massive. I mean, they've sold over two and a half million copies, and if you go onto YouTube, um, there are just more videos than you can comprehend. And it's all about making and catching that you know, bottled lightning. Um, but EA, for example, they've made their new business model to invest in the core titles. So Portal 2 got a massive marketing spend. They really got behind it with Valve. Um, and you're seeing, you know, they're, they're focusing on that and they're, they're trying to stay away, at least from the, the big money, um, to the established franchises. And it's partly because of the recession. You know, they, they can't afford to take the risks anymore. 
Um, but that's where it then opens it up to people, you know, in their basements, in their bedrooms, who, you know, they've got an idea, they've got the technology now, you can do it at home. And it's very similar to, like I said, the podcasting we do. Yeah. You know, it used to be reserved to just the radio stations. Now you can stream, do live stuff. And so it opens it out. And if you've got the talent and if you've got something that people kind of can, like, invest in emotionally, then you can do well out of it. So it's a good place for gamers. It's a good place for independent developers. I think the mainstream, you know, until we're Call of Duty 85, um, in all fairness, it would probably be the same game that yeah. we're getting this time around. Yeah. But, um, you know. Just shoot dudes yeah. in Call of Duty 85. So, come on, take him out. Yep. You know, yep. he'll be alive again, Price, he's indestructible. Captain Price. Can't wait. It's funny that you use um, Portal 2 as an example because the original Portal was actually developed by students at a local design company, like a game design company, and then, you know, Valve wrapped that into the orange box, yep. and now it's like this huge. Exactly, and even with Portal 2, they used mm. Tank, which was another indie game. And so Valve, instead of, um, well, Valve did actually shut down the studio and do an innovation a couple of months. So everyone went away and made either a game or they thought of a cool piece of tech and they thought, let's, you know, could this be a game? And Valve invested in that sort of, um, you know, creativity. And that's why Portal 2 is fantastic. But also Valve really invested in the story and it went through a lot of different iterations. Um, but yeah, the games industry is, is as good as the money can support in the high project games. Um, but for, like I said, for indie stuff, I mean, the iOS, I, I don't think it's ever been better. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to see a reason to get a 3DS still. You know, I don't know, I mean, is uh, Zelda out, is that today? Today. Has anyone yeah, today, played it? I don't know if anyone's got that. No, Sunday. Sunday, is it? Okay, who's pre-ordered it? Have you got a show of hands? Anyone who's pre-ordered it? Well, one okay. of you will win a 3DS Who today has a 3DS already? It. Does anyone have a 3DS? One of you's about to. Have I think that's one who has an iPhone or an Android. If we just put. Holy crap! And so, <laughs> if I was going to make a game, you know, I'm going to make it for that market, um, and I think that's the that's the strength of it, really. Mm -hmm. So agnostic platforms that don't require you to have billions of dollars to do something innovative is cool, but then you also have a lot of riffraff to get through, right? Oh, yeah. You run you run into that with apps just generally, but but games too. How? I don't know, how do you, how, see, I, it's the point I'm trying to get to is I don't understand how we get to parity there. When does it become, will it ever become a thing that's just in the hands of people with the right tools, but they can be one guy and they don't need multi-million dollar budgets? Or will that always be a factor and we don't, we can't avoid the fact that there will always be the Call of Duty 4s and thankfully also there's Journey or there's whatever these other little yeah, things are. Yeah, I think, I think there will always be, like I, I actually don't feel like the Call of Duty 4s and whatever Battlefield 3, what are we on now? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think, I don't think, uh, I don't think they're in trouble. I don't think there's any problem with them whatsoever. Um, and I think... I think the real issue, because I, I don't see that user base dwindling per se. I don't see it going away. I feel like what everyone's doing though is they are also playing tons of stuff on their iPhone. Um, and it's just, it's ubiquitous and it's easy to pick up and go and everyone loves it. So I don't see those big games going anywhere. To me that's like the blockbuster summer movies, you know? They're, they're gonna keep coming out and they're gonna keep spending tons of money on them and they're gonna be sequels and stuff that are pretty safe and what, what the companies, you know, aren't afraid to put out. And there will be I, fewer of them, though, as time has gone on. We, we've definitely gotten to a hit-driven industry. Yeah, but do you feel like there are a lot right now? There are a ton. Because <laughs> I honestly don't feel that way. I feel like there's like this, the few marquee, you know? And I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get this one. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get that There are a lot trying to be marquee, for sure. Yeah. But, but it seems like it's moving to where, where the movie industry is. Because the movie industry seems to be like doing the same thing. We've got Avatar. Boo! If everyone goes crazy for Avatar. Right. But then 
A lot of little EU things. And then there's another big one, but it seems like there's less than when I was a kid. Yeah, I, or even I, 1984, where there were 50 of those guys. I don't feel like my analogy is totally sound, but I kind of feel like it's going where I kind of place all the indie stuff in kind of like a television sphere in my brain, right. you know? And, and kind of like early TV. Like, like, I think of games as very early in their development and, and their sophistication, really. And, and most of the games that we play are built on some sort of, like, addiction mechanism. Like, we, we've all got this innate monkey thing to, like, collect stuff. And our brains... Loot. That's loot, everyone. Uh, loot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the reason why people talk about addiction in World of Warcraft is because our brains have... They're not built to differentiate between real life and the virtual life. It's just we collect them and we are gaining progress and we're getting bigger social circles and we're happy, you know, so we just keep... It's really hard to pull our brains away from that stuff. And, and I feel like most games are built on that, that mechanic. And especially like the iOS games, they're built on this mechanic. You know, you, you collect stuff, you do something really simple, it's getting your brain going, da, 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 and you're happy and you walk away from it. And, and, I think, and I think that's why I'm interested in, I mean, personally, I'm not speaking for everyone here, but I think that's why I'm personally interested in those emotional mm -hmm. titles. I like, it, I like it when game design is informing and bringing something to the table in addition to just that feeling that I can get from probably any number of these games. I can get addicted to this, 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 and they're all based on the same foundation and good design principles. And it's not to say that they're necessarily easy to master as a game designer, like, you know, being good at it, like I think Blizzard is good at it. It's freaking impressive what they do. It is so okay. impressive. They're carroting, that's what I call that constant ding -ding overlapping goals, or you just, they're, they're incredible at it. So that's not to say that it doesn't take skill, but I think, I think that's almost like camera angles in a movie. You know, like a, like a director needs to know this language. And whether or not he puts the camera low or puts the camera high or, or does a long shot, you know, can affect your mood. And so whether or not when you dangle the carrots and how and why all affect, like, the narrative pacing of your game and what's going on in it. And I, think, and I think that's where games are in their infancy. I think when people talk about games in their infancy, that's what they're saying. They're well, saying that our mastery over kind of, like, how we manipulate emotions is still being explored. I mean, a big, I know a lot of people here are too, are big fans of Mass Effect and that whole series. And despite some of its issues and problems, Mass Effect is really not that innovative in terms of what you're mechanically doing. You're just third person shooting it. It's just not, it's been done to death, some would argue. But it's caked in this story and these characters and these interesting plot points and, and alternate conclusions. And it, that game is fantastic in almost every way. So it feels like we've come to, a, a point in that is that we've come to a point where Mechanics have reached their potential limit. Not, I mean, you never totally reach them. The tech, the tech available today, we're not going to get much more out of what you're doing. Some people will innovate here occasionally, but what's left is what you wrap it in, like what you, not to use the cake reference again, but what frosting you put on that cake. Right, and I think there's a lot of subtle things going on under the hood. Like, I, I think, uh, like, I thought it was really revealing to me playing Half-Life 2. I don't know how many people here have played through that game. Uh, <laughs> But, but I, I felt like my eyes were really open to some of, the, some of the emotional potential in games playing through that, whether or not these things are intentional or not. Uh, towards the end of the game, they take away all your weapons, which is a big game design no-no, but they take away everything. Metroid and, uh, Prime for games. <laughs> and then they give you this super gravity gun, which is essentially like god mode for like the, the last level of the game. So you're more powerful than you've ever been. And, and if you think about games traditionally, it's usually like the games get like the last level is the most excruciating and grueling, right? Even playing Mario, you know, it's just like, why are all my platforms this big? And why do I fall down into a death pit? Like, I was having more fun jumping around on trees and sliding down hills at the beginning of the game. Like, I like the fun stuff. Like, why are you frustrating me? But the thing that was interesting about turning on... <laughs> 
the, the thing that was interesting to me about turning on God mode in Half-Life 2 was that I feel like it way better matches uh, a, the, an, a narrative arc in a film. Like what, what happens sort of like at the end of Act 2 leading up to the climax is, is the pace of the movie like speeds up dramatically as they're heading towards that end. And I just feel like controlling game pacing like, what are you doing? Like, how powerful did the designers make you at this moment, like, leading up to those final moments? Even game pacing is, like, this amazingly powerful tool in the hands of designers that I think, that I think isn't used enough in games like, and isn't thought about enough in games. It's just, you know, simply what types of activities are you doing can affect, can affect how you feel. What, how much you're carroting. Like, if you remove the carrots and people feel lost, then maybe that's going through, like, you know, that that valley of darkness that happens before the climax starts ramping up. But this stuff's really powerful, but I don't think it's, it's thought of much in, in games. I also kind of feel like game designers these days are taking more into consideration that people just really want to enjoy the game, and they don't want it to be like a, you know, chest-pounding, I am the best gamer in the world, I'm going to destroy you kind of thing. Like, that still happens in multiplayer all the time, but I feel like things like, you know, Uncharted and the Assassin's Creed series, like, yeah, it has hard moments, but you're in the story, you're, you're involved in the characters, you're enjoying the game, and they don't want to make it, like you said, so hard that suddenly you're like, well, all right, well, that's not really that fun. Totally, and there, and there's a question earlier about, um about like the the geek the nerd community right and like how do we how do we sort of like gain more recognition or you know like how do we how do we integrate more with popular culture I, I actually feel like and and I'm not sure how many designers feel this way I can speak for myself though I actually feel like a lot of my design is playing obscure stuff like as a geek that no one would have played when I was a kid right and all of it is trying to take that experience that I loved as a kid, and I'm trying to make it that much more accessible. And every game I work on, I'm just trying to get a set more people like liked this experience that I had as a kid. You know, and and even like when when Blizzard tackles a game, you know, it's usually some genre that someone's done before that's kind of like they did an okay job, and there they're just like, but we have this amazing experience with it, so let's just put this amazing wrapper on it, and they do, and it's just gangbusters. But they I feel iterate like that way all the way through too. So patch to patch and release to release, it's always that same. You know, that's, they, I don't want to say they dumb it. They don't dumb it down. A lot of people may complain they do, but they change things to make it more accessible, right. and more and more accessible. And one day you're doing this hard thing, and the next day they're saying, you know what, we're dropping that. We had it for three years. You don't seem to need it anymore. Yeah. Here's and the new easy way to play this game. And I feel like that's why geek culture is rising, even like with, you know, like say like we watch Star Trek. I mean, there's all the Star Trek movies that you see before. Then you see how they put together the latest Star Trek. And, you know, a lot of people might be offended by how they put together the latest Star Trek, but I loved, loved it, you know? And, but I feel like that was one where they, they extended the bridge. And to me, the defining characteristic of a geek, really, is that we're, we're willing to meet our entertainment halfway. You know, it's, it's how much we're willing to reach the people that are creating to like say, okay, I get this and I like it. Cause, and I feel like, you know, like a JRPG, you know, now I play that and I'm just like, uh, what is this story? Just, <laughs> it's so, it, I don't know. But, but as a kid, I love the exact same story, but it's because I was willing to meet it. But right. I feel like my standards of entertainment have, have gotten higher because of geeks. Well, that's interesting. Tom, maybe you can speak to this, but this idea that we have become... Like one time you you said recently on a show I think I was maybe even on that episode of Twit and we were or of uh, TNT and you said something about how games are just like the complaint was that there was all these new parental freakouts about content in games and you just said well games are just like movies now or they're like TV they're a, another form of entertainment that no there's no one age bracket no it's not just 14 year old boys anymore. The average median age is 30-something now. 37. 37 years old, which is cra it sounds crazy to hear that, but, but that means that adults, we adults, many of you are adults, are playing video games, and they're, 
they're barking up a blank tree. There aren't 14-year-olds scrambling to get GTA now. There's 14-year-olds scrambling to get Halo. But well, there probably are. Maybe yeah. some, but yeah. sure. But no, I, I, yeah, I think what we were talking about was this sort of, you know, every new form of entertainment goes through this growing pain where the older generations don't understand it, don't use it, and are worried about the negative implications out of proportion to what they need to be. Not that there aren't negative implications. Look at Duke Nukem Forever, for instance. But... <laughs> Uh, but that's the exception that proves the rule, right? And, and romance novels in the 1700s went through this. Like, they were dangerous and they should be outlawed and, and not everyone should be allowed to buy them. And, and comic books went through this in the 50s. And, and, and so video games are sort of at the tail end of that battle of people starting to realize, well, it's just another way of telling a story that we never had before, and so we had to get used to it, but now we know video games can be uplifting, they can be awesome, they can send a great message, but they can also be dirty, and, you know, some, sometimes that's okay for adults, and, you know, they're not targeting children, but because they started there, uh, right. everyone, you know, we're still working our way out of that. Let's not forget that our, our video games can also be brain-dead stupid. Yeah, absolutely. That, they can be everything. Sometimes you just want to get home from work and turn off your brain and play Fruit Ninja. Yes, Right? That's, yes. That's very important and, and so important that people have made millions and millions of dollars on, on games with no stories or, or any of these fancy things that we've been talking about. Right? So let's, let's uh, keep it real. <laughs> I agree. No. Um, all right. Just another couple questions and I'll... Pass it out to you guys and you guys start I would like hands. to just say before we move on Please. from Mass Effect too far, um, I was talking to Commander Shepard and uh, the Town Crier's concession stand is in fact his favorite store on the Citadel. So if you, if you, haven't, if you haven't yet got some M&Ms or something, go see him. And um, he does have a tip uh, jar, so tip generously. Because yeah. uh, I need, a kid, I need a kid with a huge ego. So, and, yeah, yeah be I good. need all that and money. <laughs> I, need, I need a kid with disposable income. Um, hey Nick, can I borrow a, can I borrow a 10? I like, probably could, sure, actually. So I wanted to just touch on the idea of uh, sequelitis. So Brian and I, we do Final Score, and one of the things that always comes up in the news is announcements of new sequels, such and such part three, whatever. And it seems to be way more prominent, say, in games than it ever was in film. And usually in film, you're horribly disappointed. Typically in games, it's better. They take what worked and just add more, take out what didn't work, there's stuff in Mass Effect 1 to keep on the Mass Effect thing that were terrible that they got rid of. That stupid driving stuff you did in 1, remember that? <laughs> yeah. yeah and the inventory. Scanning was a little better. And any resemblance of an RPG, all that? <laughs> no, but they took that stuff out, ripped it out, and then said, well, here's some new things, and then what worked we'll keep. And then we get a better game. So we get, I get naturally excited about sequels. Yeah. How do developers feel about sequelitis? Do you guys think it's too much? Is it out of control? And Brian, feel free to pop in, too, on that topic if you want. Usually the sequels do get better. Uh, Fallout New Vegas, I thought, kind of fell flat there. Um, I mean, sequels are a necessary evil, right? We have a, a money-driven industry. Everyone is so surprised. Oh, my gosh, Halo 2. Duh. And <laughs> what'd you expect? Um, the, the problem there is um, you've, you've got passionate developers, people that really care about these video games, and they put their heart and souls into making Halo 1, and by the time they're done, they're completely burnt out, and the last thing they want to do is think about Halo 2, uh, ex except in some rare cases. So um, you end up with, uh, 
with all the talent that's originally on the game eventually getting so burnt out. Um, Call of Duty comes to mind, right, which has now switched uh, developers. So um, it, it, there is a problem there, obviously, that needs to be addressed. See, it's weird, because as, as much as I like to get all angsty about Call of Duty 3, or Modern Warfare 3, and I do, I'm like, eh, more of that, right? I want to see what happens to those guys. Like, there's a story there that's ridiculous and stupid, but it's, I want to see how it turns out. I got to see Captain Price again with that mustache going on. <laughs> like, there's stuff in that game that I need to play 3 for. It's interesting that that sequel means nothing to me in multiplayer. I'm done with that. I've had it. No more. That's too much. Everyone's too good anyway. I go online and just get murdered. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a, a, a problem per se um, with, with, uh, with, with sequels, you know, and, and the fact that there are so many. Uh, but, but I think a big part, part of the reason for them is just the price, price point of games. I mean, I think if games were, you know, 20 bucks or just like that, $5 rental, you know, and for some of us it is, then, then there would be a lot more experimenting with the games. But honestly, if I'm going to plop down 50 bucks for something, you know, it's, I'm more interested in knowing that it's good to begin with. And pretty much anything that's gotten around to sequel is probably going to be pretty good. And so the reason why everyone gets more excited about, you know, uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2, and, Maybe no one's heard of it, but <laughs> but I think the I think the reason why why people get more excited about that is just because the f the fact that you know the big companies have got around to making the sequel means that you know it's probably got something to it. You know, uh, it's it's maybe that's a bummer, but but I think that's part of the reason why it it might seem a little bit more prevalent in games. Although I kind of question that because it seems like movies. Yeah, in indie games, I get excited about. I think, well, I think it's different in, in different genres. Like in movies, sequels are much harder to make as good as the first, I think, because of the expense. Uh, and not that video games aren't expensive to make, but I, I think they do a better job uh, of being able to execute on that story. And people are more forgiving uh, of things in different genres. For instance, it, we never think twice about an author coming out with a sequel. Like, no one's mad that George R. R. Martin wrote another book in the series because that's what they, they know he, he's good at. And I think that's, that's kind of the same principle as people are like, well, I know Call of Duty's good. I know that studio does a good job with it. Right, yeah, I think, I think too, uh, movies might, might have a little bit harder just because they're usually based on like an emotional arc. I mean, something might happen to like a character in, you know, in a movie that makes it so great, but he's kind of overcome all of his internal obstacles and managed to accomplish what he wanted to. So in the sequel, if they bring him back, I mean, I feel like this is the biggest problem with, say, like the Matrix movies, right? It's like Neo is basically, he's reached spiritual enlightenment and he's God. So as soon as they announce Matrix 2, it's like, where are they going to go with this guy? Like, they're done. They're either going to make him stupid again, which they did, or they're going to focus on a different character. And so... Well, games know. have an advantage over that then, because if you make a new Matrix sequel and it's bad... It's just bad. But in video games, you can make a, a sequel to a game that maybe you didn't think was going to have a sequel, but all you got to do is put the same fun things in it. Because it's the, what you're doing that ultimately probably matters most. Um, and story and stuff, but it seems like just they have, you know, game developers also, have an advantage. Yeah, it's, it's evolved though now. If you look at like what's coming out with Telltale and Jurassic Park, you know, they've said, we're making a Jurassic Park game. And you're like, oh, brilliant. And then they're like, but it's not the story. We're not making the film. You know, the film is itself. We're making something based in that world. And it's a bit like, I'm massively excited about Skyrim. Like, that is going to be probably the game. Yeah, come on, Skyrim. Way. And, you know, for me to, to, to be able to go, go back and have an unlimited number of dragons, you know, that's the sort of stuff that, you know, it's just fun. And with games, you can be a little bit more kind of loose and you can call it the same name with a two on the end. 
but you can take all the good bits and just put them back in, and I like it. You're just giving me more content. And there's, and there's technical stuff you say. We've doubled the frame rate, and there's uh, way the, the view distance is three times what it used to be. And for those that's reasons, different than movies. I think it would be so incredibly difficult to make uh, StarCraft II, which has been made, of mm -hmm. course. But you're talking about a masterpiece, right? A game that was perfect in, in so much ways that uh, Korea based all their entertainment on it, right? Um, <laughs> How do you how do you make a sequel of that? If you if you change it, then the fanboys are going to scream at you, and if you make it the same, then they're going to scream at you because you didn't change anything. They just put a two on the box. Yeah, we updated the graphics, right? That's very difficult. Very. Thin. It's what makes I mean makes Blizzard interesting or makes them semi unique in the industry. They can pull this off. Right, and but I, every developer every has to go through that, go, and everybody's not it. Blizzard. Right. And we and we know they can do it. We've seen them do it before, and Starcraft's a great example of that. But I remember worrying about it. I remember going, oh, but again, I mean, mess with it. we're still not playing Diablo 3. And the fact is, it's because Blizzard aren't happy with it. And they've got the time and the money. And they know that it's far more value to them to create something that's just perfect and amazing than it is to reach a deadline to get some money out there. And so with, with movies, and you've got to try and hit the blockbuster deadline, and you've, you've got a finite budget as well. I, I always think that people like Blizzard with the money behind them now can have the, take that moral ground of making good games without having to worry, well, hang on, everyone's got to get paid this year. I mean, if you look at a lot of games that get slated and we're like, oh, this is rubbish, you probably look back and you find, well, the studio was out of money, people needed to be paid, they had to release. And Blizzard are in a fantastic position, thanks to kind of all of us buying their games and keep buying their games, that they have the money to actually support and control that development and you know, just ensure that it goes to where it needs to go. In fact, so in other words, you need to be broke, passionate, and lucky, yeah. or rich. Yeah. Anywhere in between, yeah. it gets difficult. Yeah. yeah the, the, I mean, it's, it is the iteration, right? It's iteration from Blizzard, it's iteration from one to two. Uh, I mean, a designer is making their best guesses of what's going to be fun. And I think the most healthy game environments like to work in are the ones where the designers are very open about that fact, right? That, that they're making their best guess and that the group is, is kind of finding what's going to be awesome about it. And it's through the iteration that the fun comes out. So I think that's why emphasis on sequels is handy. All right, well, uh, elephant in the room, and then we really are taking your questions. Uh, motion control. Connect, Wii U. Wii U. Um, taking the weird name and making it weirder. So I, I want to know, you guys have been at this for a while, so I want to know what you think of this stuff. Like, is it, do you see that and go, ah, oh, breaking the fourth wall finally, we're doing something new. What do you, what's your take on that? Nintendo changed the world when they released their motion controller, right? They, I mean, they essentially took a GameCube and slapped a fancy controller on it from a hardware perspective um, and introduced a whole new market. Everyone that's not in this room, right? The non-nerds. <laughs> uh, and and, they, and well, they all bought one too. And they left yeah. Microsoft and, and Sony scrambling to figure out what are we going to do to catch up with this. Now, and, and of course, we've got the, the move and the connect, and, and are those game changers? Eh, they're getting there, I guess. But they've also, the connect basically alienates our hardcore crowd. I mean, nobody can figure out how to make an FPS on that thing, if you haven't noticed. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wii U is... We saw that demo. It was horrible. Horrible, horrible. Now, Nintendo is really good at these gimmicks, right? They, um, they, that, and 
to be fair, the Wiimote is a gimmick, okay? A gimmick that sold a million, 10 million units, I believe. Um, and now we've got the, uh, and then the DS came out, right? Two screens instead of one. What a stupid idea. Highest selling console of all time, stupid idea. <laughs> so now here's the Wii U. Is it that dramatically different? Uh, I don't know, but... But well, we Nintendo's, all do this every time, don't we? Yeah, we, say we, that and then we all second-guess Nintendo, and Nintendo <laughs> yeah. always, well, except for the GameCube. <laughs> there are exceptions, too, in Nintendo. You know, they do have their virtual boy moments. I'm not saying this is it, but, you know, they're not, they're not flawless. <laughs> yeah. Anybody own a virtual boy ever before? Anybody? Oh, man, that is awesome. That was Impressive, yeah. <laughs> that is everyone who bought one, right? And, you know, the Kinect is, is absolutely innovative, and there's so many fun things you can do with that, and they've definitely uh, done something there. Um, is it the same thing as, as what Nintendo's done? I, I think so. Maybe not in, in magnitude, but, but, but it's very impressive, and I think it just opens the door to more kinds of games. I mean, we have whole new genres of games just because of uh, putting a GPS in your phone, right? these uh, location-aware games. So every one of these is just broadening our market, and, and it's up to um, us as game developers to figure out how to capitalize on that stuff. I feel like Nintendo, uh, I feel like Nintendo kind of blew it, though, uh, with the Wii. I know it sounds strange. So not in terms of them making money, like, hooray, Nintendo. <laughs> you made tons and tons of money. And, and not in terms of capturing the imagination of my parents, right? And that's... That's really impressive, but I feel like they've betrayed their trust, my parents' trust. Like, I don't, I don't feel like they had any reason to do anything more with that than Wii, Wii Sports or, like, a few select things. And I don't feel like the Wii U, when I look at it, is going to convince my parents, you know, that they should do anything more. Fool us once, that whole thing. That, right. that whole thing. And, and I think the trick with Microsoft and the Kinect is it seems like, okay, we need to jump on this bandwagon and get to moms and dads, too, but, I mean, we're talking about, like, when it came out, I just looked at the price point and said, how, what, how are you going to do this? Like, what's your, because it doesn't look, just to my eye, it doesn't look that much different than, you know, wagging a motion controller. Yeah, I'm wagging my body, but, you know, it's basically like a dance central device. That's all it is um, right now. And I feel like for the developers, there are all these very niche things, and it's ultimately up to the software. Um, I kind of feel like Nintendo uh, blew their wad again when it came to this, this E3 because they announced this thing, but like, uh, there's nothing that came with it. There wasn't a Wii Sports. I don't know, I don't really know what to get excited about. They really or a box connected to the controller. Yeah, it's it's, really it's hard to get excited about a monitor. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think people have started to catch on. It, you saw the Wii really take off and everything, but then it all of a sudden just died. You know, we, I, I know we were putting all of our development towards the Wii and everything, and just, it seemed like overnight, it just kind of fell off, and people were like, okay, I'm ready to move on to something else, and maybe part of it was because mobile gaming came in. Uh, I'm not sure, but... Um, so, so Nintendo loved being the disruptors. It seemed like they were so proud of themselves when they yeah. came out with the Wii, and everyone said, no way, and then, you know, they, they were immensely successful. They loved being the disruptors. And then, you know, and then iPhone them. and iPad, they're right. not happy. They're not happy about disruptors anymore. <laughs> but, the thing yeah, but, the, but that's what they're, that's who Nintendo is now. They come in and go, blah, and we all go, oh. And then two years later, we go, eh. <laughs> and then they go, blah, again. Right? I mean, that's yeah. their pattern. Well, the, the, the whole thing with Connects and everything, I'm more excited to see what they do outside of gaming with that yeah. than I am about inside of gaming. It's... Uh, 
it's interesting, and it's a huge, huge gamble. I don't, I don't know, Alan, how much you've messed around with, uh, with waggling this back and forth. And you're, you know, you're talking about like the this. experimental stuff yeah, on the Kinect. Right. Yeah. I mean, not much. I read the same yeah. articles I've seen everyone it's, else. Does. It's just you're taking a huge gamble, and you know, I, I don't, I'm not sold on it all yet. No, I mean, I mean there's something yeah. about. There, there's something about this. Exactly. I mean, with the Connect, if it wasn't so expensive, it would work because it works best when it's not the primary input method. You know, if you can control and then do voice commands like they, yeah, exactly, and do hand signals and all that, that would be fantastic. I mean, where they lose it is when they say lightsaber on. You know, no one wants that. No one wants that. You know, you want to be able to play around and then have it as a as a secondary thing. Yeah, I think it, I think it has to be a combination for games because when we play actual games in real life, we, we have props, you know, we have bats and balls and, and, and things that we hold in our hands. And, and the Kinect right now is seen as like, oh, you don't, you don't hold anything. And so I, I think there needs to be more, but I agree with you. What it's capable of doing, even outside, outside of video games, the fact that it could recognize faces and voice command and space, there's all, I think the opportunities have yet to be explored fully. Like, that, what's that new thing called? I did a comic about it. Uh, the Connect thing. Connect Fun Bag or Fun Labs. Yeah. Not bags. <laughs> All right, let's do questions. Uh, hands up. Oh my goodness, we got video game questions. Let's start with you, Green Lantern over here. I just wanted to know um, in light of recent news with EA Games announcing that Star Wars, uh, their MMO, uh, will only be released through Origin and pulling their games off of Steam to now only release them through Origin. Are they shooting themselves in their foot? Because personally, I don't trust digital distribution fully unless I've seen it in action, which I've seen with Steam for how many years? So are they, are they jumping off without looking? Isn't that kind of an issue of are they... Do they minimize their ability to be in people's hands by limiting what platforms they'll be available? No, they're just trying to, they're trying to be another Steam. They're trying to be, you know, all of that. They're all the time, EA is all the time trying to look for an angle, trying to look for the, the best way to, uh, to get their games out. And um, I've, seen, I've seen over probably the last three to four years, I've seen some really big changes in EA where they really... They're starting to care more about um, the gamer out there. They're starting to care a little bit more about uh, the quality of games and everything. There was, there was a period of time when Walmart, we had so many games that we put out at Christmas. And you've seen how many games that Walmart can actually lay out in their cabinet and everything. We had more games coming out than they could put in their cabinets at Christmas time. And that, that was at a point where, you know, everybody just stood back and went, why, why are we doing this? This is, this is stupid. Let's, let's make uh, less games, better quality type of games and everything. It's interesting because when you go get a new iPhone game, you don't have the physical storage problem. You just have this huge swath of games that all might be terrible and you have to dig through it and find the good stuff. It's just an interesting difference. Like you, it isn't an issue of, oh, we're all out of room at Walmart, sorry, no more this Christmas. But on your iPhone or on your Android or something, it's sky's the limit. There is no limit. But, I mean, it's all going to be going digital. 
I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. Uh, it's going to end up being um, better for the consumer, be able to get it quicker, um, that type of thing. Will there, will there be stuff in Walmart? Yeah, there'll still be some. Maybe. Yeah, EA I mean, is just hedging their bets that Star Wars is a big enough title to make that transition for them. Yeah. Let's hope. Exactly. I mean, it's all about ownership as well. I mean, we were chatting on TNT the other time. Um, was it the Times who pulled their app off? Uh, was it the FT? Someone had pulled their newspaper app off and had basically made Financial it... Times. Financial Times. had made it so you could basically subscribe outside of the App Store. And it was so that they didn't have to give Apple money for their in-app purchases and they could just control their product more without having to get approval. Now, Steam just cutting out the middle person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And now, Steam's not quite the same way, but everyone's trying to look about platform ownership as a, as a developer because that's one of the last new frontiers to tackle and try and get your piece of the pie. Um, but, you know, as a gamer, I mean, on live, obviously, is you know, a big thing as well. And as the technology catches up with things like that, and you can have instant gaming, and all of your stuff is on the cloud, and you can play it on your iPad, or on your smartphone, or on your old computer, you know, you can do anything. And so, I think we're going to see more going in that way, but as to when that happens and gets to the point, I think mean, that's just what we've got to wait for. Yeah, why, why wouldn't EA want to keep that money instead of giving it to Valve? And, if the, and Star Wars, like you said, Star Wars is a great opportunity for them to try to nudge you over that way. Yeah, and this, for the record, Old Republic will still be on shelves. Let's do another question. Let's do... Oh, go ahead. You say something. No, no, no. Go. Push. <laughs> what was I going to say? <laughs> well, I think the funny thing, too, is that, you know, I love using Steam, and I think it's a great distribution method, but it is owned by Valve. And, of course, EA is having the same issue. Like, no one, like, as you were saying, wants to give money to another developer or another publisher to get their games out to the most people. I feel almost like there does need to be a third-party non-publisher tool, like maybe something like OnLive, that's not making their own games, but is a, a platform where everyone can have all their friends in one place and it doesn't have to be like supporting Valve or supporting EA specifically. And that way we can have all our friends in one place because man, it's annoying to have like impulse and to have steam and to have whatever EA is doing. And to, you know, it's just, it's too much. In a way you can like what good old games does uh, because they are so niche with it. It's like, here's this nostalgia trip and you can buy these games you played in 1991 and we're making it run on your hot new Windows 64-bit 7 box. That's, to me, different. But everybody else scrambling to be the platform of choice. And it's interesting we're talking about PC so much because, holy crap, this is like the year when that's all the talk right now. Like, everybody's really interested in what is happening on PCs more than a long time. And maybe it's just the cycle we go through this. Consoles are kind of <laughs> right now. And I think the PC will just get uh, more interesting and even more relevant. Um, I, I feel like there's going to be a time when we look back on the fact that we had like dedicated boxes like Microsoft and Sony and stuff in our living room, and that's just going to be this weird old memory. Wow. Isn't it yeah. funny how things are coming back yeah. around again? Yeah. Because for years we were saying the PC's dead, the PC's dying, it's all about console gaming, but the real geeks were like, oh, no, they no, were no. They were holding fast. <laughs> we're, well, I remember in the late 80s when, when they were like, oh, no, who wants a console anymore when you can buy a computer right. and play, you know, so it, it does right. go inside. There's it. obviously space for all sorts of platforms, right? I mean, they don't just, they're not going to go away anytime soon. Everybody wants to control it. All right, next yeah. question. Oh, sorry, I, I butted in again. Sorry, I really, I want the question. No, please, too. do. I, I just want to clarify. My point isn't that you will not be playing games in your living room. It's just that I feel like the delivery system is going to be connected through that entire culture. I mean, I... I More I, of a unified kind of... I mean, a system yeah. that everybody can get on their... Like, uh, I see it as likely, although I'm just kind of sticking my neck out here. Do but it. Stick it out. But I feel like... <laughs> but I feel like... Uh, 
Apple TV or Google or one of these things are going to be are going to be the thing that makes makes well, that, the that's why Microsoft Sony and, and Microsoft are trying to push themselves as the set top box because I think they feel that yeah and pressure. I see I yeah. see them having difficulty with it yeah. and I just see that that's where the big game changer happens it's just you connecting to what's out there and it's going to happen through these boxes and people won't see the need for having a dedicated box anymore this is just my thought my feeling all right whoa arms go up let's go back here yeah stupid speaker. It's like the third time I've done that. I was, uh, uh, Veronica, you brought up OnLive. And uh, I'm really, it's a really fascinating platform in that it distributes the processing power remotely. But um, as we're talking about distri digital distribution and everything, we got this 800-pound uh, gorilla in this society, in our country, where our internet providers are going to start clamping down on our bandwidth. Um, how, how, how are the publishers thinking about this in terms of distribution and stuff? Is that something that you think they think new? I mean, do any of us know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like most things I've, I've answered, it's all about where the dollars are, right? If, if um, they're going to stand to lose a whole bunch of money because the bandwidth is not there, then money will be exchanged and they will make it happen. I walked away from him so he couldn't respond. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anybody else want to speak to that? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the, I don't know. I feel like a Steam. The bandwidth thing scares the crud out of me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because Steam right now allows you to re-download your games with just no problem at all. You install, uh, you know, install Steam client on your machine and you just, you download. That's, that's a lot of bandwidth. It is, and, and if uh, they start I'm, capping that. Yeah, and like, eventually it's, it, it could be a problem. Yeah, yeah and I think, I think in general, like, if you'll pay for it, then it'll keep going that way. I mean, people talk about the death of industry and such, and I'm just like, well, people buy what they want to buy. It still if they don't want to buy innovation, then they won't get innovation. And It still hey, isn't in the ISPs. It's not in the ISPs' best interest to cap your bandwidth off to where you're not able to purchase things. I mean, right. the fact that we don't have enough competition is why we have bandwidth caps at all. Uh, it's just their way of slowing things to, to control costs. But I really don't feel like, you know, bandwidth's going to stop. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it will catch up. I mean, in England, we're getting on live this fall, and it's actually in partnership with the rollout of a new internet service provider method. It's going to be all fiber optic from BT. Um, and so they're actually partnering with the ISPs to kind of make it so that we can, you know, we can do it. So, yeah. We hate you mutually. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. We got uh, great internet, really, yeah. for such a small I, place. I don't have any caps. I just have a crappy connection. So, uh, More questions. Let's see right here. So, uh, well, recently I've gotten in the uh, nasty habit of listening to anything uh, Total Biscuit has to say online, especially when it deals with the video game industry. And uh, he brought up a really good point last week when he was railing about uh, new games that are coming out that fail. Uh, specifically talking about a trend he sees between indie developers charging 10 bucks, let's say for Terraria, uh, new video games coming out like Duke Nukem that are charging, you know, 50 to $60, uh, and monthly subscription charges such as Blizzard, which World of Warcraft has been $15 since it first came out. So his uh, thoughts and, and kind of what I've been thinking about is the evolution of the month-by-month -month pay system rather than this big purchase up front for developers to bring in more money over time from their customers. So, kind of what you were saying about uh, on live being well, again, I mean, dominant, yeah, I mean that's not what them, they, but something yeah, like but that. I mean again, on live do offer that monthly subscription option. 
Um, the, the problem is, is it doesn't have all the games in, you know, and that's the sort of thing that as the platform grows, as more people say, I want this type of game, I want to pay for it in this way, then we'll see more of that. Um, so it's really, as always, voting with your wallet. I mean, Blizzard continues to charge $15. I mean, they could charge more. I think just fight with inflation or just the fact that they've got the biggest MMO out there. But they see that as work, what works. Uh, when Rift came out, they chose the same price points. Um, so it just seems to be until someone comes along and does it differently and we're all like, actually, yeah, I'd rather give my money to you because I like how you're doing it. It's, it, you know, that's what's going to make change, really. Well, what, what makes this hard, all this talk about how the business model is going to move, bugs me at a fundamental level because what I love about games is the wonder of it, the magistry of it, the artistry of it. And when I see good projects being squashed because of my, Again, I vote for the whole, let's make this so cheap that a brilliant dude can make it for nothing and I can play it easily. Because then I can play this vision, this thing, and, the, and then, I, then I get out of the game what I came there in the first place for. I don't play, you know, I wouldn't even play Duke Nukem wondering now, I wonder how my experience will coincide with actual MPD numbers next month. I, I just don't care about that stuff as much. I just want the fantastic experiences. And, and I feel like all of this stuff just means platform control and everybody wants to have their fingers in it and nobody's focused on like, well, I, I just want, you know, who's making the really creative stuff? And Blizzard gets to because they have this behemoth amount of money to do it, and the, so do others. But they were doing it when they were, didn't have a behemoth yeah. amount of money. The business so. model has changed already. Right. It's not that there's, you know, $20 games and there's $60 games. There's, there's free games. There's games that, um, that are just based off of advertising revenue. There's micropayments. There's, there's all kinds of things, and hopefully what you're getting at, Scott, is there's something for everyone, right? If you, if you want to pay for it that way, there's probably a game out there for you. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, all right, let's do someone in the back. I never go way back, do I? Wearing a Horde shirt. I have that same hockey jersey, so you get the next question. <laughs> so Portal 2 sort of uh, became the first major release that uh, allowed players on different platforms to play with each other. Is that a trend that you think is going to continue uh, in the industry? God, I hope so. More co-op. Yeah, my, well, my answer is the same. Yeah. It's I hope so. Co-op, <laughs> I think I can see it happening. Um, I'm not too sure about competitive because uh, PCs would probably school all the consoles. I think especially in shooters. Um, when they've tried to do it in the past, the PCs, even the poorer players, they just have more control over it. Um, so, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure people can make it work though, I'm sure it's doable, but I don't know. I know that's, that's kind of the direction that uh, uh, EA is interested in, is trying to make, make it so that, you know, you can go anywhere, connect to anything at any time, and be able to continue your game and everything. How it works out with multiplayer, I'm not quite sure yet, that's, that's still... Uh, to be seen and everything, but I know that's that's one of the things, and um, that they've uh, they have some interest in for sure. There's nobody here from EA, is there? <laughs> no. Okay, good. I get to keep my job. <laughs> uh, more questions. Some hands popping up. Let's do you right over here. Sorry, cutting through here. There you go. Yeah, this question can be directed to all of you, whoever wants to answer. I'm just curious about your spouses and how what they think about you and gaming or your significant others. If you're like me, I have a wife that likes to bang a pot over my head while I'm playing my game if I'm playing it for too long. So just curious what their, what it, their it's spouse well, are. It's well documented that my wife is happy when I play Warcraft because it gives her time to watch her television shows that I don't like. 
That's a good setup. Good setup. Well, that really resonated with <laughs> some people. We, we solved that problem by having two Xboxes and two PS3s in the house in different rooms. Yeah. I like that new Sony 3D TV that they showed it for multiplayer in that one person can see something and the other can see the other. But if they can hook that up with headphones so the wife can watch the TV and the guy can play his shooter at the same time, that's the future. That's what it is. <laughs> well, the, well, Wii, the, Wii, the Wii U was doing that. kind of doing that. Yeah. That demo, they're like, you walked in, your friend wants to watch the baseball game, your, your roommate, who, I, why you have a Wii together, whatever, anyway. <laughs> so you walk in there and he says, well, I need to watch the game. He flips it on, you grab your Wii U and suddenly that game is now here and you're playing it in the room and you're not bothering the other guy. I have to admit, that looked kind of all right. I don't know, this is what we do at Nintendo. It looked okay. That's why I like mobile gaming. Because yeah. I, can, I can go out, honey, I gotta go out to the store. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am in the parking lot for two hours right. playing or, or something else. Whereas if I'm trying to do that at home and everything, I have to have all my chores done first. You know. so, so is that a uh, developing games or a playing games question? Uh, I don't know, what do you think? Take my pick? <laughs> Take your pick. Well, so, like, as you're mean, sitting around tooling around with like stuff whatever all the time. answer Shane's about to give is going to be much better than mine because because I'm not married. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, I I have a I have a spouse without papers. I don't know what to. <laughs> uh, but the uh, the uh, game playing, I'm, I'm I happen to be one of those Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of players where I'm pretty mild mannered and and polite and the angriest I've ever been, I've like told them, I'm really upset right now and if I could take a break, that'd be fantastic. Um, <laughs> uh, but when I play a game, it's just like, I, I mean, oh boy, I turn it on. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like the controller thrower, swear, you know, I, I go nuts. And so she, she, she obviously doesn't, uh, you know, she reacts to that. I, I mean, because you feel what the other person's feeling, mm -hmm. yeah, it's no good. But the funny part is, the funny part is she does it too. So, nice. <laughs> so when she plays games in the other room, I'm getting all agitated because oh, she's just match made in heaven, right? right? Yeah, it's bad news. But but speaking generally in development, I I feel like the married thing like gets hard, makes it harder and harder to be a developer the older and older you get, and the more your family grows. It it's really mm -hmm. tough. Well, I wasn't going to speak to the development side of things, except that um, I recently read an article that. Um, was saying, okay, World of Warcraft, how many, how many marriages has that caused to fail, right? It's a pretty staggering number when you think about it. And the person who wrote this article felt that game developers should be responsible for um, causing that, right? That we should not be building games that enable people to abuse them. Which, you know, I can't say I agree with, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's building a bomb and saying, telling someone not to blow it up, right? Yeah. Um, so, there are alternatives. Um, you can you can design well a game like World of Warcraft, for example. You can uh, give them a stamina, and after after two hours of play, you know it starts to decrease, and you just get less experience points with every hit. You know it just makes it not worth it after five hours of play. Yeah. Just I might as well just turn it off and go do something else. Um, so you can build that kind of stuff into the game. And the question is, is it the responsibility of the game designers to do that or not? And will that game be fun? <laughs> I mean, I, I know Blizzard did it to an extent, but, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's also that question of just, you know, whether or not you made something that's fun to play in the end. You know, I actually uh, cheated uh, by uh, 
get a podcast started with Scott so that I could call it work uh, and, instead of gaming. Yeah. And so this I is just, a meeting that we're doing today. Yeah. And, yeah. I, just, I just shut the door and go, yeah, you know, I got to do some work. <laughs> and uh, that's what we call it at my house. Yeah. I mean, it's nice when you have gamers in the same house and you both can enjoy the same thing. I mean, I know JJ and his wife, wherever they are, somewhere, they play together. They do everything together, but one of the things they do is play together. And that's always. It, <laughs> You're playing Riff now, so quiet, you. Um, <laughs> yeah, see? Play. Beautiful. Okay. That's right. But I can tell you, you guys know, a lot of you know Kim as well as you know her. She's standing right there waving her hand. And she, she says, I'll say, hon, I think I'm going to go raid with the, with the boys tonight. Sounds great. She's really supportive. Sounds awesome. See you later. I'll be in bed, whatever. Talk to you later. And I go, want to come play? No. <laughs> no. She doesn't want to play. So that's how we work it out. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts? Did you say one? Oh, you did. Did you have one? Okay. Yeah, let's do more questions. Should I do that side? <laughs> Listen, Britain, I don't have to do what you say. <laughs> Thanks. Um, my, my problem is that professionally I'm an engineer, hence the shirt, um, but I, can't, I can barely code my way out of a paper sack, so I don't see a lot of ways into the industry. I'm a little more into the uh, hardware, the networks, the back-end kind of stuff. Could you guys speak to some of the tech, the innovators, and who's doing it and what they're doing, just as sort of an overview of, of some of the more behind-the-scenes stuff? Who's blowing your mind now? Who's like, whoa? I mean, we talk about Blizzard all the time, but who else is, like, killing you? Uh, yeah, I guess I'm the tech guy, so i got to answer that, huh? <laughs> um, blown my mind is, is not coming from these big companies, right? It's, it's the same sort of thing that we see in, the, uh, in this independent game stuff, right? Um, now, you're an engineer, but I've seen a lot of uh, people tying engineering with software, right? From my iPhone, I can control this RC car that turns into this real-life game that people can play over the Internet. You know, that's some innovative stuff right there. And I think it's, it's a little bit more tangible to people, and so they're a lot more likely to stick with it, even though the gameplay might be super simple or, or even stupid, as long as it's it, like, wow, I'm really affecting real life. And that's, there's something to be said for that. Cool. How about you? Anything? Either, any of you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I on, on techno, I mean, if someone, you know, it's like Shane said, if someone comes up with something clever or a good peripheral or, I mean, if we're talking like software and game design, there are things that blow my mind. But I guess from the engineering tech thing, yeah, I, I don't, yeah. So, no, sorry. I just should have just said no. I was going to say all the stuff that, that Rockstar is doing with 3D mapping and, and all their new um, rendering technology for faces. I think that's really cool and a big step. I wish the, the bodies would catch up to the face, facial motions right now because it's still kind of like... Oh, they got these great faces that are turning and going and then the body's just kind of... Yeah, and then um, the, uh, the creation engine for, for Bethesda for, yeah. for Skyrim just looks that's like, amazing, yeah. whoa. Pretty amazing. So I think we're we're leaps and bounds above where we were even two, three years ago, in terms Which of that stuff. Which is good since we're in this same sort of core generation consoles I, and sort of PC evolution. I should say actually, because it's very relevant, that the the tech to make your own game has gotten like impressive. So 
uh, my background was in art and then in design. I mean, the type of thing I do at work every day is, you know, PowerPoint and Excel and just lots and lots of meetings, you know. So that's what I was doing. Um, but I had no programming or scripting experience whatsoever when I took off to do my own thing. And even though I thought I'd have more like buddy help like getting into this, it's basically been entirely myself just scripting in Unity for like the past year and a half. The stuff I've done with it kind of blows my, me away. I don't mean like it's so impressive. It's just kind of, it's more like, well, I do mean it's so impressive, but only in the sense that I think of myself as a moron and what I've been able to do in it, I've been really, really like just kind of blown away. You can grab that engine, it's free for development. You can just start learning JavaScript, just grab stuff, and you can start like bringing your ideas to life. It's totally amazing. Sounds I, like I podcasting and comics, actually. A little bit. There's, there's um, packages out there, Unity 3D. Just get out there and start playing around with that. Uh, the more you play around with that, the more that you just start to try to dig into it. You get into some of the forums and start talking with some of the people there, trying to find out what's going on. Innovation comes from anywhere. It's not just limited to big companies. It's, it's anywhere. It's, it's people like you. Yeah. All right. I think that's all the time we have for questions. And therefore, the video game panel. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being here, especially you three. Thank you so much for taking your time today. That was amazing. Um, uh, and thank you all. That was really fascinating. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. We uh, will have another break. I've got to see what the break is. You'd think I'd have this memorized by now. Uh, we have exactly 30 minutes until live film sack, so stay tuned for that. Thank you again, everybody. Another round of applause for these guys. Um, here's, the, here's the plan. Uh, a bunch of, I, I, I can't commit for every single human being, but I and, and hopefully others for this mingle period that we have at the end of the day, are going to go up into the booth room and sign prints or stuff or mouse mats, whatever you need if you didn't already get it, if you want something like that, if you want pictures of us, all that kind of stuff we can do over the next 45 minutes, hour, or whatever. Uh, and, yeah, I can end this now, right? All right, I'm ending this now. This has uh, been a long day. Let me just say uh, how incredibly uh, satisfactory this was. <laughs> like... I was pretty stressed out about, you know, making sure it all went off. It was a very different kind of year. I talked about that this morning. I didn't really know what quite to expect overall, but I am thrilled. And, and, the, and the part I didn't expect were all the little personal stories people came up to me with, and I'm, I'm super humbled by that. And the effect some of the shows have had on you, these silly things we do just for, just for fun and goof, um, have had actual impacts on people. And that means a lot to hear that. It makes me want to go record a bunch of stuff right now and keep that going. Hypothetical help is amazing. Thank you, Tarpster. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be getting those out again. We're a little behind. Yeah, you'll believe it when you see it. Um, anyway, I can't thank enough everybody from the network who showed up and your families and traveling all the way out here. You drove from South Carolina, Suzanne, with that guy. Uh, Tom and Veronica and Ibit and Terpster and pa Where'd Patrick go? Did he leave? He re he re he re he retreated, didn't he? Okay. Um, well, I can make fun of him then. All right. He keeps a block of cheese under each arm. Um, and everybody, I'm not, I'm forgetting names. Eileen, everybody, for being here. Uh, Eric, Eric, and your girlfriend. I love her. She's awesome. You should totally hang out and keep that going. Um, 
half my raid team over there. I just, I'm, I'm just thrilled to have so many familiar faces and new faces here this year. I hope you guys had a good time. I can't wait to do this again. We'll see you in 2012. Thanks. Thanks.